Well, uh, today is a special Sunday. We have special guests with us. We have Peter and Heather Malakar, all the way from New Delhi, India, with their two children, Prakash and Joy. Um, I, along with some of our Cornerstone members, were able to visit them. And for a short time, for me, it was only a few days, uh, to see their ministry, to visit them, to be in their home, and to see their ministry firsthand um, as we shared with all of you before. It was a tremendous blessing uh, for me personally in many ways. Um, I was lukewarm about Indian food until I went to India and actually had it. Now we go to this place near our house, my family, we have Indian food. I mean, this is, I'm not kidding. It is every week at least once. <laughs> we go there. I've become semi-friends with the owner. So when I walk by his restaurant to go to another place, he looks at me and there's a look of disappointment. <laughs> so when we, I, he also gives us great discount. We buy one entree, he gives us one free. So um, it's been, uh, it changed my life and my diet. <laughs> it is, uh, it's a blessing that way, that God exposed me to Indian food that way. But more importantly, all kidding aside, just seeing the ministry and their love for people in the community, reaching out, just seeing them uh, with other saints there, serving um, people of India um, in many ways, um, just seeing and hearing about uh, the blanket drive and their ministry in the slums. Um, in many ways, it was uh, a delight uh, kind of life-changing experience for me to see that. And I'm sure all the members at Cornerstone who were on that trip um, were moved and forever changed by what God is doing through their ministry in, um, in New Delhi, India. So we're so thankful for um, Peter and Heather's faithful call they have taken up to take up the gospel and... Um, and to run with um, the treasure that it has been given. It's been an encouragement to me. I'm sure to all of you have heard. And we have, get the privilege to hear from Peter, not only speak the uh, words of God this morning, but also to introduce or reintroduce, and some of you, it's uh, to you to be new, uh, about PMI and also Capital Bible Church. So let's welcome Peter Malachar. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste. <laughs> That's greetings from India, the capital city of Delhi, just about 21 million people. Um, and our country of a billion, over a billion people. So we bring a lot of namastes uh, and wish we could bring a lot of Indian food <laughs> and get all of you <laughs> into Indian food. But, um, but I, I should tell you, Pastor Bob, I mean, it's not original. You have to come to Delhi to eat our <laughs> Indian food. So you're welcome. But what a privilege it is for us to just um, to come here to share God's grace in our lives and, and his work of the gospel there in India. We're so privileged to be here. My wife, Heather uh, Malakar, is right here. Maybe she can just stand away. <laughs> yeah. uh, and our two kids, Prakash, is three and a half, and Joy is two and a half. They're in the nursery. Uh, we're so delighted to be here. Uh, isn't it so great that not only to belong to our great God, but also to belong to one another as a worldwide cross-cultural or transcultural, <laughs> global, eternal family because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to share that with you even today. And uh, even as we, uh, as I stand here, I want to acknowledge that it's all by His grace, nothing that we deserve. It's by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we stand. And as we present the ministry, the Lord has uh, opened doors for us in New Delhi. I think more than saying, I think we'll just start with a slideshow that you could have a little glimpse of India and the work uh, there in New Delhi specifically. So.
Ethel Prakash and Joy. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Well, this was just a little glimpse of what the Lord is doing daily in New Delhi. Uh, 2006 is when we uh, went back to Delhi uh, after we got married. Heather and I, we got married here. That's another story to tell you how we met from two different, literally two different corners of the world, how we met. The Lord sovereignly arranged our marriage. Now, in India, we, our marriage is arranged, you know, so God sovereignly arranged it. Uh, uh, so when we went back, as we were praying, Lord, how, how can we reach out to the community, to so much people that are Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and Sikhs and Jains and even atheists and agnostics? And so the Lord led us to open or start this nonprofit called Passion Movement International. So this is like a bridge to the community. So we basically focus on university students, actually, all young adults and, and professors and professionals, young professionals. And we engage them to volunteer with us in uh, Nandalal slum that we have adopted, about 1,000 families and about 80 to 100 kids that we work with. So it's really neat because as we engage them to volunteer with us, and they volunteer for whatever reason, we get to share with them the great volunteer. Our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we do that, and as we involve them, engage them in service project, and helping these poor children in their education, and, and in their medical camps, and health camps, and different aspects of life there in the slum. As you know, slum is so, uh, such needy, poor, cramped, uh, an area of, say, eight by five will be like seven people living there. Uh, you know, it's just cramped, as you've seen some of those pictures. So as they come alongside, they're able to see us and our love for these poor people and our help. And, and as we do that, we're able to establish a relationship with, with these people. So it's all, almost like a, you know, a one bullet but two, two targets. And we build a relationship with both of this group and we categorically and strategically and aggressively and clearly, we always want to share why we do what we do. It's not to just do some good works or get some salvation or feel good at the end of a day and, and, and be pity on people. But we share why we do what we do is not to get anything, but because we got everything in Christ. Because of the love and the forgiveness and the peace and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. This is as a result of who he is that we do. So it's been really neat to see the Lord bringing in so many people uh, in both uh, of these groups and see a church come up. In 2007, the Lord established uh, this church called Capital Bible Church. It's been really a joy to see uh, mostly young people as we started with and, and to see them get married and have kids. And now we have a nursery, uh, four babies on the way this, this year. Uh, it's been joy to see more and more uh, Hindu people coming to know the Lord and Hindi service is on the way, so we're moving into second service. So Lord not only grow, grew us in numbers, but I think most, um, most joyfully, I would say, to see people grow, uh, a leadership come up, and it's been a joy to see that uh, in our church. And, and uh, baptisms are on the way, and uh, these kids, some of these kids that you guys know and, and pray and sponsor them uh, are not only getting saved, but Suman is getting baptized in April, uh, and she could do that because she just turned 18. Uh, so that's legally, she's able to do that. Because before that, if she does, we could be you know, booked, or we could be sued, or people would just point fingers to us that we just convinced them and her and, and converted them. Uh, so it's been really neat to see uh, lives being changed and, and Christ building his church and, and many other wonderful stories. Those of you who know people out there, Lord is really blessing us, growing us. And, and I think greatest joy has always been to see people being saved and, and the gospel work in, in their lives. Um, so that's what we've been doing. Our desire is to see more church plants grow. And as you see, the huge country, a huge need. We are in Delhi, which is northern India. And more specifically, I, I believe it's more needy because uh, it's the most populated part of India, the northern India, and least reached part. Joshua Project mentions that India has uh, more than 2,000 largest unreached people groups in India in the world, uh, and, and much, many of them are in the northern India. It's also the hub 
of most of religion. We live about uh, eight miles away from the largest mosque in India. Hinduism has its most holiest place in northern India. Buddha got enlightenment in northern India. Jainisms, Sikhism, the ones who had the turban, uh, are there in northern India. So we believe, uh, as any missionary would say, wherever they live, that's the center of the world. We believe that's where the Lord has placed us, and we, are, we should rejoice and, and be, get the privilege to be the light there. Also being in Delhi, it adds to another dynamic of people from all over India. Uh, students come to Delhi for higher studies and the best job and the high government jobs. It's been really neat that being in Delhi to reach out to so many people from different parts of India and even neighboring countries. We have people that come from Afghanistan, from Iran, from all over Africa. So it's been really quite uh, interesting to see the dynamic. Even in our church, we see so many age group, but also uh, different people from different parts of India and the world. And we could come together because of Lord Jesus Christ. And, and especially in the context of New Delhi and India, uh, where, you know, Hindus believe in caste system. You know, higher caste, don't interact with the lower caste. But to see that only in Christ and in His church, we can sit together and worship together and be together. And that makes a huge difference to be a witness as a church, as a body of Christ to the unbelieving world. So please continue to pray with us. We have uh, our latest upgraded uh, picture. <laughs> you know, kids grow so fast, so we need to keep taking pictures. It's a challenge to get all of our eyes to the camera at once. <laughs> so Joy is, uh, is still looking. Uh, she doesn't look as happy as she is usually. <laughs> uh, and also we have a brochure for more details of our ministry there. Um, uh, uh, I mean, just as we share this again, I uh, want to acknowledge that this is all by His grace and, and because of our Lord Jesus Christ and we get to be. And we, we're always encouraged by Cornerstone. We want to thank you guys for praying for us, for connecting with us, for communicating with us, for sending gifts. And, and, for, and many of you sponsored children there and the slum children. Uh, it's been really a joy and a delight that we can partner in that way. Uh, your partnership for the gospel is a huge blessing and encouragement. So I want to personally really thank all of you and Cornerstone Church for standing with us for the gospel work there. It really, really means a lot for us. So we want to appreciate and thank you. Um, I will share a few more of our testimonies as we go along in the sermon today. Uh, but I want to really thank elders of this church for this privilege to share God's word with you. And there's no more a greater joy than to open God's word and share with you. And so uh, the title, as you uh, can probably see now, uh, oh, sorry, Turn Your World upside down. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed this verse um, in Acts 17, and that's not where we'll settle today, but just as a bridge to our, our topic today, um, Acts 17 verse 6, where Paul and Silas going around the city sharing the gospel, and then the Jews uh, grabbed Jason and brought him out of the house asking for Paul and Silas. And there he writes there in verse 6, the later part, says, this man who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. This unbelieving Jews telling this Paul and Silas and the team, these are the guys that have turned the world upside down. And so that led me to think, what is it that turns one's world upside down? What is it that can turn our world upside down? What is it that Paul and his team did to turn the world upside down as they were known from city to city as a travel? And later in Acts 17, you will see that how Paul went into the city of Athens full of idols, greatly distressed to see these idols. And pretty much the same in Delhi, India, where we see idols all over, literal idols. And whether it's an idol of a monkey god or a snake god. And in India, you know, there are 33 million gods. <laughs> and I can imagine with Paul looking at those, he was greatly distressed to seeing this. Uh, this. And then Paul interacting with the philosophers of the day, uh, later in the context, that famous Mars Hill sermon that he gave and many people uh, got saved. And that how their world was turned upside down. What is it that can turn our world upside down. Think of some news that can turn your day around. You know? Think of some news that can, or something or someone that can hopefully turn your world around for good and not for bad. Not just temporarily, but forever really. 
And I, I believe firmly that it is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that can turn our world. It is when you and I meet and believe and embrace Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, that can do. So that's what I'm going to share today. And our text will be actually Romans 1.16. We'll look at that text. But as, even as you go there, I want to share it with you as an introduction to some, a story of a young man, about 19-year-old. His name is Pramod, a young, enthusiastic, very strong Hindu that not only was proud of his culture and tradition, but even hated Christians, and even more worse, hated missionaries that would come all the way from Western country and pollute our rich Indian culture. And this young man, uh, very enthusiastic, passionate about his religion, his gods, um, was struck with tuberculosis. And in those days, uh, tuberculosis is an isolated treatment for about a year long, and he had no other place to go but to go to this mission hospital that would treat leprosy patients and tuberculosis patients. So he went right up there, and he said to the missionaries right up front, if you convert me, I would rather die. But if you treat me, I would love to be healed. And the missionaries, oh yeah, this is a hospital. This is a genuine hospital. You see all the stations, and we treat people. Yes, you're welcome. Please come in. And so they got him admitted. And so morning after morning, uh, this lady, a missionary called Carol Anderson, would go with the book, the Bible, and tell Pramod, this is God's word. This is the Bible. This is the truth. And he would laugh and say, oh, Hinduism is like an ocean, and, and Christianity is like a drop in a bucket. You know? and, and so he was very proud of his religion. He would not even think about reading such a thing called Bible. And she would go every morning and still say, Pramod, this is the truth. Read it. And so finally, he decided, okay, I'll read this book just to find out fault or false in this, in this Bible. So he, according to his testimony, Pramod read the Bible three times to find fault in the Bible. But guess what? The Bible found fault in him. It was like a mirror. He could see that he is not one of those gods that his Hindu teaching would say that he's one of the gods. That no, he's a wicked sinner. And that it's not by law of karma, good works, that he can attain or achieve moksha, salvation, but it's only by grace. And then verse, that what will it profit if you gain the whole world and if you lose your own soul? So promote the word of God just convicted him and the spirit of God caused repentance in his heart and he got saved. And that young man is being a pastor now for more than 50 years, faithful to his word. And that man is my dad, Pramod. It's been such a joy to see his love for the word of God. And many of you have seen him come to Delhi. His big Bible is always open with a big smile. And whoever goes by, he grabs them and sits them for an hour <laughs> and goes for it. And he still preaches in our church. He's our senior pastor. And people get saved. And the Lord is really using. So that's the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and being a son, his son is a pastor's kid. As you, many of you know, growing up in a Christian family, I go to church, I go to BBS, and you know, memorize Bible verses. And I always thought, I'm a good boy. You know, I'm not like that bad boy. You know, you always uh, compare. And I'm a good boy. I know Bible verse. I go to church. And I thought I was a Christian. Guess what? Until the age of 16. And I got so much pain in my stomach. And I thought I would die. And for the first time, I realized that I am not ready to face the holy God. And that I am a wicked sinner. And my greatest sin was pride and self-righteousness. I thought I could make it. I could be good by myself. But as the Spirit of God just enlightened, opened my hearts and our minds and exposed my sin and reminded me of the Bible verse that I would memorize, I knelt down with tears and I repented. I think that was the first time that I really repented of my sin and as a sinner. I'm, but I would still have to find out when was my name written on the book of life. But I believe that was the time that I really repented and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And that changed, that turned my world upside down. 
my perspective of life, my reason for what I wanted to do. Because I grew up wanting to be a medical missionary looking at missionaries and just because they just drew attention and I wanted to be that man, you know, in charge and doing things. And that's just why I wanted to be a medical missionary until I really got saved and understood the gospel that they were doing it. That they were coming all the way from America and because their lives were turned upside down and they wanted to share the gospel. And they were doing because of who Christ is and what Christ has done and has commanded us to do and what Christ himself has done, left heaven, came to earth. So that gripped my heart. I wanted to be a medical missionary to Africa, actually, because just because, you know, people came all the way to my jungle in, in, in the uttermost part of the world, in jungle in northeast India, some. I want to do the same. But as the Lord had a different plan, I moved to Delhi, and the Lord burdened my heart for my own people and my own country of India. And just one of the things that just struck me was India being in the 1040 window area of unreached people groups. And it's not closed like China. It's not like Middle East. It's still open. It's a secular, democratic country. We can still share the gospel. Of course, there's radicals, there's persecution, but we can still do that. And so the Lord burdened my heart and my wife's heart for for India, for New Delhi. And one different aspect about, I think, our specific to our ministry was to reach out to, reach out to the educated people. In India, most of the missions work has been to the villages, to the tribals, to the lower caste. But if the gospel is applicable, gospel is needed for the educated higher class people too. And so, Lord, because of my degree in India, education is huge. So I have my DR in front of my name. I'm a medical doctor. So that really adds a huge open doors to be able to reach those people in that high places. And God has done amazing work to that. In our outreach, on a weekly basis, we have hundreds of people come by, hear the gospel. We have professors who are atheists. We have people who are anti-theists uh, that are there, of course, highly philosophical. Being in Delhi University, a lot of people come, interact, and be able to hear the gospel and get saved. One other opportunity that I want to share even in the, as I do this uh, is just recently, Government of India invited me, because of PMI, uh, to their top 50 experts that they wanted to bring invite in their government building to discuss in a day-long workshop on how to handle beggars in the city of Delhi. It was a huge privilege sitting with people whom I see in the television every other day, you know. They're so unworthy and, you know, with every microphone. And usually the ministers would come, start and go. But she was there the whole day really wanting to brainstorm and understand. So everybody introduces and my turn came and they're introducing like huge, you know, they have huge numbers and huge people, huge statistics. And I'm there saying, uh, I've been working in the slum area for the last five years with about just 80 kids. And they look, <laughs> who are you? Why are you here? You know? But by the time I shared, why was that? That how we were focused and how we're committed and we're consistent. We're not about numbers. And this, at the end of my sharing, they said, this is how NGO work should be done. And so that sort of built a platform for me. The whole day I was praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. So towards the end, everything has been said and done. So the minister says, anyone has any last things to say? And I raised my hand. <laughs> I says, yes. I said, well, uh, may I share that I'm a d medical doctor. And one thing I know for sure is if you don't diagnose the disease right, you can never treat the disease right. And I believe poverty, beggary is just not a social issue, not a legal problem. It's a moral, spiritual problem. Why there is so much richness in India, but still there's poverty because we want to share. We don't want to share because we're selfish, and we're selfish because we're sinful, and we need a Savior. And I went on and on. There's pin drop silence, you know. <laughs> and at the end, the minister said, yes, you're right. It has to start from me first if you want to see a change. So it was really a great privilege to be at that high level, officers and, and people who are changing, lawmakers. They're actually reforming the law, being able to share the gospel in this way. So it's really neat to see how the, how the gospel is so powerful in those. So as I share this, again, I want to remind ourselves, myself, that this is only by His grace. Nothing we deserve. All we deserve is hell and eternal condemnation, but only because of Christ and what He has done in the gospel which is why we are here and which is why we can share the light of the gospel. So even as we uh, turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, let me uh, read this verse to you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Let's look to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your grace, for your gospel. Thank you. I pray for your word. Thank you for your word and your spirit with this word will encourage us, will convict us, will challenge us to live for your glory and for your gospel. We ask all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Uh, as you know, that Romans was written by Paul, and he introduced himself in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now here Paul, a servant or born slave of Christ. Now Paul was not Paul before he met Christ, right? What was he? He was Saul, and he was the persecutor. He was the number one anti-radical Christians. He was beating around, persecuting, killing Christians. And that's Saul met Christ, or Christ met him in the road to Damascus. Remember where he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that Saul, his life was turned world upside down to be the Paul. And that Paul now here, he's saying, introducing himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That's his mission, set apart for the gospel of God. So I want to entitle this, uh, this passage today as the gospel of God. And we'll look at this verse, the first part, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So we'll talk a little bit about the purity of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. So we'll look at the power of the gospel. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greeks. So we'll look at the preaching of the gospel. So we'll follow uh, this outline. First of all, let's look at the purity. For it is, for I'm not ashamed, Paul here is saying, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So we'll talk about the purity of the gospel. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? As you know, gospel in, in, in Greek, evangelion, it's just good news. It's a good news. The herald. And Paul briefly, brilliantly, and beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The gospel, the good news is about the sinless Savior, the Son of God, Christ Jesus, dying for our sins, according to the scripture. This just didn't happen as an accident or martyr and people would say, oh, Bichara, he, you know, he just got stuck and God, Jesus Christ was just crucified. He couldn't do anything. No, it was according to the scripture. You remember Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion, where the bad, bad news happened. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, after the creation and, Jesus, uh, and, and God commanding Adam, Adam not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened? Adam and Eve ate from the tree. That was not just eating from the tree of the good and the knowledge of, of the knowledge of the good and evil, but that was an act of rebellion against God. And that was the bad news. That brought sin, curse, disaster, disease to the world. And at the backdrop of that bad, bad news, you hear this good news of our Lord Jesus Christ that no one else but Christ, the very Son of God, died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to Scripture. That's the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us, specifically on the cross of Christ as he took our sins on himself. The good news, the gospel is just not about changing from one religion to the other. In India, we face that a lot. It's about being dead to being made alive. It's not just changing my world. It's turning my world upside down. And you know, being dead, Ephesians chapter 2, remember in the beginning verses, it talks about the deadness, being spiritually dead. And I'm, I, I'm a medical doctor, worked in the ER, and I've seen some dead people, and they n do know nothing. I mean, you sing to them, you cry to them, you pinch them, you stimulate them with all kinds of, it's just dead, no response. And that's what we wear, dead in our sins and transgressions, isn't it? And when the, when the gospel is proclaimed and the Spirit of God just regenerates us from being dead 
to being alive. That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ does, is to make us from being dead to being alive. This is not just any, any man's news. It is not just any man's news originated by human ideas. It is the gospel of God. In fact, here in verse, uh, in verse 1, it says, Set apart for the gospel of God. It is just not a good news from God. It is gospel. Gospel is the good news that belongs to God. It is of God. And you look at that verses in chapter 2, verse 2 of chapter 1. The gospel he promised beforehand to his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. So not only this is the gospel of God, it specifies here as the gospel of his son, regarding his son, which he promised in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Then if you look down in verse 9, it says, God whom I serve with my whole heart in the preaching of the gospel of his son. So you see that the good news, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is just not, uh, it's just not a good news it's a good news, promise, but it's a good news of, of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, of who he is and what he has done. So he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So we're talking about what is that gospel? And Paul here says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when he says the gospel... We're talking of no other gospel than the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you sit in a class, few people, few guys like Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, sit in the class and Christ, and say, okay, who can raise hand and say, I, you have done something for my sin? Who has done anything for my sin? Everyone other than Christ can raise hand and say, yes, I have died for your sin. Everyone else have said, do this, do that. These are the good works. These are the five ways. But Christ is the only one who has died for us. And so we're not talking about any other gospel, but the only gospel, the pure, exclusive, not inclusive. Now, we in India has to be so careful because it's very easy for people to add to their 33 million gods just another God called Jesus. And so this gospel stands apart. No other than the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And here, Paul, of course, talking to the believers here, saying, I'm not ashamed. And the context could be because of his past. But he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul, for Paul, nothing and no one intimidates the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Whether it's talking to people in the Mars Hill, to the philosophers, to anybody in the street. He is not intimidated of this gospel, the pure, unchanging gospel. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and you know that, where in verse 18 it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Look at that. This could be foolishness for those who are perishing. It may look foolishness, and it may look being ashamed, but here Paul says, no, I'm not ashamed. This gospel, which is the only gospel, pure, exclusive gospel, is that which we share. You know, many times we see, I, I'm sure, even in the States here, you see false gospel being shared, whether it's a social gospel or, or prosperity gospel or wealth gospel. And in India, it's very famous to say, or very popular to say, oh, if you come to Christ... No more suffering, no more disease, you're all, it's all good. But how contrary is that from Philippians chapter 1, 29, that we are not only called to believe, but also to suffer. And talk about suffering for the gospel in the life of Paul, as you know, know that this can come. In fact, we're not to be ashamed of the gospel, but we can be shamed for the gospel. We can be shamed. In India, uh, when someone comes to know the Lord from a specifically from a Hindu background, and their life is, their world is turned upside down because we live up, growing up to be to live for our family. And you can imagine when someone comes to know the Lord, that's that's a huge upside down. Let me tell you a story of Praveen. Praveen came to know the Lord through ministry from a very Hindu background uh, from Manipur, and so when he came to know the Lord, he called his parents and told them. And they were saying, Praveen, you brought shame to our family. Not only that, you brought shame to our community, to our tribe. You brought shame to our culture, even our country. You're no longer my son. And not only that, said, 
you need to return to us all that we have invested on you, even from the time of your birth. All the money we spent on you. <laughs> and so that was Praveen's life when he came and got saved and how his world was turned upside down. Persecution, difficulty, suffering, as you know, would come when we, when we not only follow, uh, believe in the gospel, but also believe in the pure, the gospel of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, even uh, what did Christ say when he said what it means to follow him in Luke uh, Luke 9, uh, Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet to lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy, holy angels. Friends, I know it may look different in your context here than in India, but when you believe in the true gospel, in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, you may be shamed, but we're never to be ashamed. Never to be ashamed. We need to be bold in sharing the gospel to believers as well as to unbelievers. You know, sometimes it's so sad when we, uh, when we are, get an opportunity to share the gospel, how our tongue is tied, isn't it? We just don't know where to start. We don't, want to sh- we don't know how to share. But remember how this gospel has turned us from being dead to being alive, from being the kingdom of darkness to light, from being eternally condemned to have eternal life. How can we, we be ashamed of the gospel? You know, how gospel reminds us of how we are a beggar, telling other beggars where to find food. And so I just want to encourage all of us with Paul here to not being ashamed of the gospel. In fact, when you are, when you find yourself, we find ourselves in that context, we have to remind ourselves of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. How, is, how he was shamed for us, isn't it? You look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, 2 to 3. Talks about how Christ here in Hebrews 12, 2 to 3, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In fact, the shame that we can face because the gospel brings joy and glory, glory to God. For I'm not ashamed. Of the gospel. Let's look at the next part. For it is the power of God for salvation. So if you ask Paul, Paul, why are you not ashamed of the gospel? He says, why? Because, and what better reason than this can be? For it is the dunamis of God. This is the power of God. Now think about for a moment, power of God. Can you think of some powers, maybe nuclear power, you know, powerful boss, <laughs> ones that are over you? But think about, here we're talking about this gospel. The power of the gospel is in the power of God, and power of God is how powerful. <laughs> he's omnipotent, all-powerful God. And so it's just not, the gospel is just not a message, but it is the power of God. And his son, Jesus Christ. We will look at that this power is not an impersonal power. It's not an impersonal power. We have to be very careful in India when we share about the gospel. Because they think of impersonal power. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1. And maybe I'll read from 22 onwards. Jesus demand, uh, Jews demand miraculous signs. And Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews. And foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Did you know that? Christ, the power of God. So being more specifically talking about the one Godhead of the triune God, power of Jesus Christ, the power of God, the power of gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 talks about the gospel of the glory of Christ that we see in, in Christ. It's not an impersonal power. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. 
my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. But on God's power. So you see that how in the gospel, it, is, it can only take the power of God to really save wicked sinners like us, isn't it? And that's what we see that here, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. See, you can ask in the context, okay, this is the power of God for what? This is for the power of God for salvation. For salvation from what? To save us from what? Romans 5 talks about that how we're saved from the wrath of God, from the wrath of God. Of God. In fact, in the context of Romans chapter 1, uh, if you go on reading from 16 onwards to 19, 18, 19, you'll see the wrath of God being revealed to us. That in sin, we are not only sinners condemned, but we are enemies of God. Imagine being enemy of a powerful person. Here we're talking about being enemy of God. Think about the wrath of God. Friends, how many times we think, oh, sin, oh, it's okay, we'll just, it's not a problem any sin that we commit, how lightly we take, we forget that any sin is sin against God and sin against the all-powerful, omnipotent God, all-knowing God. And we come under the wrath, just not anger, the full anger of God against sin, the wrath of God, the eternal condemnation. And so this gospel, the power of the gospel, saves us from the wrath of God to being His child. And his heir, co-heir. How glorious is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That how we are being saved from being slaves to sin and Satan and being freed in Christ. How that we were blind, but we begin to see through the eyes of the gospel. The power, power of the gospel. So we see that, that how this power of God for salvation, to save us from the wrath of God... And the question comes, how does the gospel then save us from the wrath of God? And I love Paul, how logical and rational he is. In verse 17, he says that. Verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, verse, verse, verse 17, he says, For in the gospel, this is how we're saved from the wrath of God. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see that how we're saved from the wrath of God is because of the righteousness that we receive from God in Christ and that we don't and can never achieve it. It's so important for us to understand that we cannot, we are dead. But in Christ, because the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we receive the imputed righteousness that we will receive in Christ, the justification of our, our faith. Now, in, in Delhi with PMI, Passion Movement International, our compassion work, it's very, very important for us to always explain this aspect of not achieving righteousness because even in our context, it can become very social gospel, just trying to do good, good stuff, you know. And, and so this becomes so important that we, by our good works, are not achieving anything we are doing these good works because we have received from God all that we need. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. And so just wanted to refresh us and remind us that how that we are saved from the wrath of God and we are being saved. The power of God and the power of the gospel is because of who Christ is and that how His righteousness we receive, we can never, never achieve. And how it is activated? It's activated by faith. In Christ alone, for for uh, for it is by for whoever believes in Him, and even that faith is a gift, isn't it? Ephesians <laughs> two eight to ten. It's a gift from God. That how it is nothing of us, nothing that we can do, all that we receive as a gift. In fact, this gospel is so powerful, so wonderful that you know this this passage uh, seventeen. You know how Martin Luther, his world. His understanding of the gospel and reformation came in through this verse on being faith, how faith is the key that unleashes the power of God in our lives. 
Friends, I can talk so much more and more about the gospel, the power and the glory of the gospel. First Peter chapter 1, 10 to 12, remember where, where, where it is said that even the angels long to look at this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and to the Gentiles, to everyone who believes. So I believe that preaching of the gospel is to be for every, everyone, for everyone. Here, actually, Paul, in the context here, he, he writes, uh, he actually writes to believers in, in Rome, in chapter 1 of Romans, verse 7, says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You go down to verse um, 14. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. So you see that how gospel here for Paul is not only to share the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, but even he's preaching the gospel to those who are believers. So we see how gospel is, is not only for our salvation, but it's also for our sanctification that we are to, as we are reminded, to come to the cross every day, that daily we live that gospel life. Too. We're reminded, we're humble in our cross because we can become very prideful very soon of, of work righteousness. That how we do things, we serve, and in some ways we think we build some righteousness to our account. But we're reminded of how it is all in Christ. And so here, basically Paul talking about how we need the gospel for us. In fact, in Romans chapter 16, later on, he talks about how being established by the, by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage all of us that to be reminded of the cross every day, the centrality of Christ and cross and what he did. We never go beyond that and how that would, ought to change our lives, even how that changes would become a witness for us, that how gospel is just not an act but, or just not a decision, but it's a direction, isn't it? That it's just not one point, that how, live it out, how we live it out every day of our life. So I want to just even go further and, 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 and just say that how gospel is just not a message. The good news is good news about this God-man of our Lord Jesus Christ, that how it's not just a message of our Lord Jesus. It's a, it's a power, but I believe it's also a worldview. It's how you and I ought to live. And that's what, where as we, we see that how gospel view, gospel living is so important. In my interaction with the unbelievers, week in, week out, we have a program called Focal Point. And it's all unbelievers every week, about 50, 60, comes to our, our outreach center. And, and we're able to discuss anything and everything <coughs> under the sun. And we see how it is centered and how the solution, how we need to point that all, and the answer comes out of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, we've talked about issues of origin, issues of answering big questions like how suffering came, why is there so much corruption in the world. You talk about anything, we see that how gospel is the answer, that how it leads to the cross and Christ, what he has done for us is the answer. Many times when we go into politics, we try to answer questions or talk about worldviews. We tend to just try to give answers and that's it. You know, like there are the 10 points to prove existence of God. You know. But I've realized that no, I mean, if it stops there, that's not how it ought to be. It has to, it has to go to the gospel, the centrality of gospel, that it doesn't stay there, stop there. It has to go. Recently, I got an opportunity to speak on worldview and all Asian, first ever all Asian creation conference with Ken Ham, I don't know, the Answers in Genesis team, and I somehow got invited to be one of the keynote speakers. And they asked me to speak on discerning worldviews. And so we're talking about different worldviews. And, and as I was studying and thinking about it, and people talk about biblical worldview, Christian worldview. And you know what worldview is, you, how you view the world, especially in the glass. I mean, put a yellow glass and everything looks yellow, isn't it? And it's so important to not only understand uh, and how the influence of the worldview in our lives, even in our churches I see, postmodern worldview, it's good for you, not for me, you know, all those tolerant relative truth idea. Uh, but I, I realized that, you know, it's just not good enough to say biblical worldview, Christian worldview. I, I said, no, it has to be worldview, but even more importantly, it's the gospel view. That how we look at every aspect of our life in the view of the gospel. So I want to encourage you that how the gospel is so relevant. In fact, I would even further say that gospel is offensive 
to the unbelievers, of course. Not because it is not relevant, but because it is radical. Because gospel makes sense of our world around us. Gospel makes sense why we are suffering. Gospel gives hope for our future. Understanding of the whole uh, gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ adds to or, or, or and gives a huge ability and an opportunity to be a witness to the unbelieving world around us. And so I want to encourage you that how gospel, the preaching of the gospel is to be for everyone who believes. Now, I do want to emphasize here is that, you know, as people who does not know Jesus Christ, how would they hear the gospel? Jesus Christ, in uh, giving the great commission in Matthew 28, isn't it, 18 to 20, he didn't say, okay, you know, if you want, you can do that. But he gave a great commission. Go and make disciples. That we are, our mission is to make disciples. That's the centrality. We can do a lot of church stuff. We can do a lot of good things. But if you don't make disciples, I believe we might stand at odds and before Christ. Because he very clearly said, make disciples. And although I want to say that this is definitely a mandate, a command. It's not a choice. But this command is not out of, you know, duty, but out of delight because of understanding of what the gospel have done for us. And as a result, we want to share the gospel to others. In fact, look at Romans chapter, as he said, as Paul said, to everyone uh, in the context I'm sharing from Romans chapter 10 uh, to uh, on verse 14 onwards, that everyone is everyone in the world. And even here in Orange County heard the gospel. I doubt it. And how would that happen? Here it says, verse 14, it says, how then, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how, how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Bring good news. I want to encourage all of you, brothers, if you have witnessed and if you have understood and if you have experienced the good news of your Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, it, is, it ought to really be an overflow of our life to everyone at work, in our, in our study, and everywhere we go, that we ought, we ought to be a light of the gospel of, of Christ to everyone around. It's just not a choice. It's a command that we do out of delight. And I want to challenge you at the end. This aspect of that how our gospel is non-cultural, isn't it? <laughs> There's no culture restricts uh, the gospel. That the same problem in all cultures, the problem of sin and the need of a savior. And so I want to challenge all of you, the non-cultural gospel to be taken cross-culturally. Yes, we need to reach out locally here. And I know as a, as a church, you're doing that, uh, as I just heard in the announcement. Uh, local outreach. But don't, please don't forget that there is a huge, dark lost world out there haven't heard the gospel and yes not many of you may be called for that but think and pray and be challenged by that to go even cross-culturally and now there's a lot of teaching in, in churches in the U.S. as I hear from India and all about here's the mission of life here's our mission yes mission is at our doorsteps I agree but mandate still is to even go not only in Jerusalem but in Judea so I want to encourage you and challenge you it's not easy, right? And it's amended. And it's an example set by our own Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that sometimes that Jesus could have done on YouTube from heaven and sent this YouTube to us and says, Hi guys, we love you. We'll send all that you need. Just pop in the prayer request. We'll take care of it. I mean, he could have done that. No, what did Christ do? He became a human being. He came into this earth cross-culturally, highly cross-cultural adjustment, right? <laughs> Sinners, he walked among us, lived a perfect life, and went and did a perfect sacrifice for us on the cross and rose again to give us this hope. Let's not forget that mandate to follow Christ even cross-culturally in that way. And I want to challenge all of you as I end today here to, to make sure that you're that you preach the gospel to everyone, of course, the Jew first, and to the Greeks also. There's a huge lost world around that, that you and I can be part of. Isn't it a privilege for us to be part of the gospel? You know, can God do that without us? <laughs> of course. But we're so privileged. Lord, thank you for giving us a privilege to bring that good news. I mean, one of the greatest joy is to see when someone comes to know the Lord and you're able to lead them. And uh, one of that story is Nirvan. 
Nirvan, when he came, is a very bright young man, student, very intellectual, very philosophical. His first comment with me was, Buddha is a better example to me because Buddha wasn't perfect, right? Yes, Buddha wasn't perfect, right? But Jesus was perfect, right? Yes, Jesus was perfect. So Buddha is a better example to me because he was imperfect and then became, he became perfect. So I have hope. You know? So that's the first interaction. And so talking with him week after week, opening God's work. So Buddha was not perfect, right? Did you say that? Yes. So he sinned, right? Yes, so he sinned. So did he do anything for his sin? <laughs> How could he take his own sin because he himself was a sinner? And so opening God's word and just showing week after week. I still remember the chat of our coffee sitting across this table uh, on a Wednesday evening. We have it every Wednesday evening in our center. Uh, he opened his wallet and he brought out his different pictures of his different gods that are supposed to protect him from different problems of his life. He laid it out and he says, these are worthless, useless. Throw it away from me. I don't even want to touch it anymore. I want Christ. I want Christ. It was just amazing to see that Nirvan not only got saved, he's involved in the church, he's serving in the church, and then, you know what, he's leading others to salvation. I mean, uh, Siddharth, he reached out to Siddharth, another young man from a Buddhist background. So it's really neat to see how, how the Lord is using us. What a privilege it is to see that, how God is at work in saving his people. Now, I did start with my story uh, and my dad's story in the beginning. I want to finish that again with this again, the same challenge. Think about it. If those guys, those missionaries, right here in the U.S., if their lives were not turned upside down by the gospel, and if they don't literally take the world upside down by going from here to the other end of the world, and God used them to share the gospel for us, and I'm the fruit, we're the fruit of that. No. And so I encourage that, yes, world is small, global is small, and many times you hear a lot of missional teachings about let the nationals do it and they can do better. No, please understand that there is a huge mandate and a great role of cross-cultural mission. So maybe Lord would work in the hearts of some of you to say, I want to I pray with the elders of this church and the leadership of this church and share burden, go out. Uh, I know you already go, go to Czech Republic, but there are many other places. Maybe some Lord will lead you to China, to Africa. Uh, church in mission and you are a church that loves the Lord and the gospel I want to encourage that and challenge you all to think about going across the globe as the Lord leads as the Lord calls for the gospel of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ even as I conclude with Paul here for I am not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes first to the Jews first and also to the Greeks I want you to think about the time when you heard the gospel for the first time. The person who shared with you the gospel first time. You want to thank the Lord and think and pray about someone else you'd like to do even today or even this coming week. And this is what I would want to challenge and encourage you and hope that you would all uh, keep the passion of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and spread the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray as I close. Father God, we come before you acknowledging, Lord, how unworthy, wicked sinners we are. We were. But how, because of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the good news of, of how you took our sins on our behalf on the cross, and you made atonement for our sins that you did that perfect sacrifice and that how you rose again on the third day to give us righteousness to save us from the wrath of God or may we never underestimate and forget how we were transformed how we were changed how, we, how from kingdom of darkness to light from being slaves to being free in Christ that we no longer walk in those that we no longer follow any other gospel than the gospel and I pray that you would make us the bearing witness of the gospel to people around us here and there. I want to thank you for Cornerstone. Thank you, Lord, for this church, for this body that has been such a blessing to us, Lord, for the, the partnership of the gospel for them or with them. Thank you for each member of this church. Thank you for each one here. I pray that you will, you will perhaps reignite that passion for the gospel for some. And I pray that you would call some to, uh, to global missions as well. 
want to thank you for this opportunity that we get to be part and partner with you and your great work. And we ask all this, giving you all glory and honor. I ask in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.